I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Peter Manning, founder of Peter Manning, a clothing company focused on men 5'8 and under. Prior to launching the company in February 2012, Peter was a Tony Award-winning theater producer. Welcome. Great to be here. What percent of the population is under 5'8"? 25% of American men. So why hasn't a company like this existed prior? You know, you see a bunch of fashion designers, actually, uh, who are 5'8 or under, like Giorgio Armani, Mickey I, Drexler, J. Crew. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, it's an enormous demographic. It's incredibly difficult to get dressed and find clothes that work. I think maybe it's because this consumer just didn't pipe up and say, what about me? You know, they manage, they go to the tailor, and it's no, it's dispiriting and no fun, but, you know, no one's walking around naked. I also think people thought, how do you do it? There's a stigma. And people have tried. I was speaking to a customer the other day who said, oh, we're so glad you're doing this. It's My husband's just, she's so happy and all that. She said, there used to be a store in Washington that closed. And I said, oh, really? I don't know, but what store was that? She said, oh, it's called short, the Short Men Shop. And I was like, hmm. Wonder why that closed. You know what I mean? It, I just don't think there's the way to do it. And I'm trying to do it in a new way. Your company doesn't mention the word short uh, anywhere. Uh, is that a conscious decision? Definitely. It is a stigma. It is a bummer in our in our the world we live in. It, so why not sort of avoid it? I'm 5'8". I was having problems. I thought if I'm having, you know, issues, then definitely guys shorter will. You know, one of the funny things is men who are shorter, sometimes I'll tell them that I'm doing this. And they go, oh, really? Yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, I do okay. And they'll sort of walk away. And then they'll come back and say, hey, you going to do polo shirts? <laughs> what is so painful about making your pants a little shorter? What does it mean to have a company geared towards the 5'8 and under crowd? Is it just simply well, making shorter pants? I don't think men want to shop. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to shop and then have to go for the second step of taking your clothes to the tailor. And also the proportion on things are wrong. So if you get pants shortened, they're still too wide at the ankle and they're too wide at the knee and it makes you look shorter because your pants are too wide. So it's never quite right. I heard that you wore a Brooks Brothers uh, boys blazer for several years. Yeah, you know, it's all true. I mean, men have had to like shop in the boys department. What is the tailor tax? I call the tailor tax the money, the extra money one pays to fix your clothes. You know, I've shortened t-shirts that are just too long or polo shirts that are too long or I've had to take sleeves in because they're just too wide. I mean, it, it's really a pain. Mm-hmm. If you And if you care, mm-hmm. it's a pain mm-hmm. and it's a lot of money. And if you don't care, you don't look good. I noticed uh, you talk about your clothes being inspired by, you know, New York City street life, like the subways, for example. What is it about the subway that inspired your, your design? Well, it was about color. The mosaics in the subway, the subway signs, are these beautiful signs from the, when the subways were first made. Burnished reds and bl- deep blues and kind of great sort of hunter gr- green jewel tones. And, you know, there's a stop at 86th Street and a stop at Bleecker Street I call Bleecker Blue, you know, in my head, you know. So it's, it's that kind of in- influence. Now, you're still in the early days of the company. I mean, you, you, you launched oh, yeah. in February 2012. Oh, yeah, so, we're early. So, so you're, you're going through the process of, of defining and executing. And what has been harder for you than you thought, even not very far into the company? Um, hard is getting your product made and done and, you know, in factories that you're 
you know, I'm a little pisher. I'm not a big gun yet. So you're not a priority and how to make sure that you get the quality that you want. That's really a struggle. The name of the company is eponymous, uh, is is Peter Manning. How did, how did you ultimately come to that? Was it obvious or? I was talking to a branding firm that was helping me. And I came in into a meeting and they said, your name is Peter Manning. People would pay us lots of money to come up with that name and it's yours. In the early days and still, I'll respond to a customer and they'll say, wow, it's you. And I'm like, sure, yeah, we all pick up the phone around here. There's no, you know, we all are helping. It's all, it's all hands on deck. So I think having someone behind it who's, who's felt their pain and who, believe, who wants the same clothes too is really makes a difference. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is the clothing designer, Peter Manning. Peter is the founder of Peter Manning, an e-commerce clothing company for men 5, 8, and under. You've had quite a career shift. Uh, prior to starting Peter Manning, you worked in theater for over 15 years. Yeah. What drew you to theater initially? I did start in the theater. I wanted to be an actor. But I loved it. I mean, I growing up, I always did it, and I loved it. And then it got hard, and I wanted to see what the other side was about, because I didn't want to just sit around and complain about how, oh, there's no opportunities for actors, and they don't really want me, and all this stuff. I just, I didn't like sitting around talking actor talk. And I got an internship at Manhattan Theater Club, and I worked there for two and a half years and ended up saying, oh, producing. There's plays, and there's this whole other side of it that I hadn't thought about. You won a Tony Award in 1998 for Sideman, which was a, a show that you took to Broadway. A Sideman is somebody who plays like in a jazz band, right? What, what, how would you just define what a Sideman is? A Sideman is a guy who plays in a jazz band. He's a guy who plays for hire, you know, so he can play in a, a big band there. He can play at a wedding. He can play, you know, he can play in an orchestra pit. He's just a, he's a journeyman musician. Yeah. And... Um, it was a play that I loved that I'd done at New York Stage and Film. Um, when I left New York Stage and Film, I told the writer Warren Light, I promised him that I would do the play in New York. I had no idea how I was going to do that. And every producer in New York had seen Sideman and turned it down. I knew that it would be a success. I just knew it in my bones. How much of your memory does that project consume in your era of theater? It was an incredible incredible experience for so many of us. And part of it, just as we were moving from downtown to Broadway, our daughter was born. So so, so it's sort of tied up in that as well. But Frank Wood, who played the father, was this journeyman actor who'd sort of been like a sideman, but an actor, because actors are like sidemen too. And he went on to win the Tony Award. Edie Falco played the mother before. I remember Edie Falco telling me at some rehearsal one day going, oh yeah, I got the show, it's The Sopranos. I remember vividly thinking to myself, wow, God, Edie sure doesn't seem like the sort of taffeta dress singing type. Because I thought it was, I had no idea. I mean, that's, so we were all kind of young and doing this thing we just believed in with all our heart. Mm. And it kind of, you know, you have this experience where you sort of put it together with tape and love and, you know, hope for the best. And we're, everyone's working for nothing in a conditions that are like, you know, almost tawdry. And you sort of do it and get it on and it works. And it just, I knew, and then moved to Broadway and then wins the Tony Award. It just, I thought that's not going to happen again. So, you know what, let me just, put that Tony Award on my shelf and gaze at that and go home and take care of my kid was sort of how it went. Why did you make a a shift from theater? Uh, Oh, the easy answer and the quick one is that we had a child. 
and Andre, my husband, now husband, partner then, but now we're married, uh, was uh, the artistic director of Lincoln Center Theater. And I just thought there was no way for both of us to have a real, you know, really the careers that you need to have in the theater because you have to give 110% of the theater. You, there's no other way to do it half. How did you meet Andre? I interviewed to be his assistant. And we had an incredible interview that where we both were like, wow, something was happening here. But, you know, we were, it was work. So we were, nothing did. And I didn't get the job because his assistant didn't end up leaving. But he left a message on the machine saying, well, there is no job. Um, but let's get together for dinner sometime. And I thought, oh, wow, he must have felt it too. And then you worked at Lincoln Center after. I did. And that was a little tough. It was sort of exciting at first because no one knew about uh, our relationship. And then then it got annoying uh, and hard after a while. That office romance stuff. You're um, not the first. Yeah, exactly. You and Andre uh, have have been partners and now he's your husband for since when? Since 1991. And you two have had kind of a personal entrepreneurial moment in having your daughter. Can you explain that? We wanted a child and you know, so we sort of stumbled on an agency that was on 46th Street, and and we did. But we also, when I look back, I think, wow, we kind of were out there on it. I think we're the first male couple in New York to adopt jointly. And we take it for granted now because you have a lot of single-sex couples adopting, but you were the the first. Yeah, there, there are no—Katie has very few peers, mm. in, and in, we're in New York. You know, we were always kind of the only two dads around for a long time. Now there's lots of them, which is great. Mm-hmm. But but she, she's a real trail. She's a real trailblazer too. So she's got to sort of blaze that trail too and explain all the time as well. After you left the theater world, b- before starting the company, uh, you you went back to college because you hadn't finished college. You only had a semester left, but you actually went to four years at, at Columbia I and, did. and focused on on architecture. Right. So was the thought that you would go into a career in architecture? Well, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to go into a career in architecture, but I knew that I wanted to finish this degree that was unfinished, and I knew that I loved architecture, and I, I didn't quite know where it would go. Uh, when I got out, a friend who had been incredibly successful in real estate said, I think you'd make a good developer. And I didn't – I said, really? What's that? And he said, well, let's go go find something and let's let's do a project together. It's in Nolita, which is uh, uh, on the Lower East Side. Yeah. Uh, on Elizabeth Street. Yeah. It's a, it's a building – it's a building that people are, can't believe is new. Mm. It's bro- uh, brick and wood windows and has a kind of detail and kind of heft that buildings used to have 100 years ago. So why from theater to architecture uh, to clothing? How did you land here? I landed here because I did the development. It was the same, I was using the same exact skills in, my develop, in developing the building that I was using in the theater. And I thought to myself, oh, I could do that clothing company that I've wanted to do literally since I was 10 years old. You know, I, there's a story. My mother, I was 10. We were driving in the car in Larchmont, New York, where I grew up. And I wanted, said, Mom, I want bell bottoms. And she said, oh, sweetie, I can't buy you bell bottoms because by the time I shorten them, they won't be bell bottoms anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remembered it as vividly as, you know, yesterday. And I thought, that's really not fair. It's like the proverbial bell bottoms is my rosebud. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what I've been searching for. Your earliest memories associated with knowing that you were gay also tie into a sartorial moment, a connection to clothes when you were a child. Right. I have this vivid memory of my 
going up the third floor stairs with my older sister, who's, I guess, nine, nine years older than me, and saying to her, you know what I love? I love waking up in the morning because so I, I can't wait to get dressed. And I had this mustard pair of, like, you know, sort of pants that I loved. I remember my sister having a face on that was like, that's weird. You know, other five-year-olds are not saying that. And that doesn't mean you're gay. But, I mean, it was it – was, so I kind of always knew. So, you know, I hit it and, like, lots of people did and came out when I was 21. And everyone I knew was like, oh, really? You had this love of style and clothes, you know, from the age of five. How, how about your parents? My mother was really – you know, she dressed beautifully. You know, she knew that girl. You know, she taught at a girls' school, and she knew girls were watching. So she would pride herself on not wearing the same thing twice for you know weeks and weeks on times. She always looked put together and always managed to you know look great on with, without a lot of dough. And why didn't you start this earlier? I I don't know. I I, I just it didn't occur to me that I could. I mean, at the time, the our building did very well, but the real estate market at the time had just dried up, and so I was sort of trying to figure out what was next. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and start this. And I, it's like this, that thing, and that can happen. I sat next to someone at a dinner party who had a very successful career in, in, uh, with the uh, retail. And she, I told her, that I said, I've always had this idea. And she said, that's a great idea. Hmm. Call these people. They're starting, starting a like, kind of consulting firm for new brands. And you should really do that. That's a great idea. Hmm. And so I, off I went. When you initially launched uh, Peter Manning, uh, where did the capital come from? I was able to get a loan, 200000 It was the first time the bank ever gave a loan to a startup. Mm, what bank? Uh, M&T Bank, mm-hmm. um, because they mm. believed in it. And so that's how I get started, because I was really at the moment where I was like, I, I can't, I can't, maybe I'm not going to pull it off. Maybe I'm not going to get there. And they approved the loan and were like, and I was like, we're off. Mm. We can do this. But then it's like, well, now you have to go raise more money. And But now we have a proven concept and sort of real growth. And people can go, oh, wow, wow, you really are onto something. When you're an entrepreneur, which I guess I am, I'm like the reluctant entrepreneur, you're so, sometimes you're so far out on a limb that you feel like it's going to break. You know, I've cried on street corners. Like, I don't know how I'm going to solve this. And then I remember that we're not curing cancer. We're just trying to sell some pants, like, and you get through it, and everyone's going to live, and it, you know what I mean. So, it, but to just the, when you feel so much and you want so much, the right thing, you know. Why have you cried on a street corner? Okay, here, well, here's here's what. Chinos are a big part of our business. The chinos that came in right before we were to put them on sale came, and their back pockets were too shallow. Like you couldn't get a wallet in them, all of them. So we. So we had to send them back to the factory, and then they have to remake them. And they're like, oh, sorry. I'm like, oh, sorry. Hmm. What? Didn't anyone ask? Like, these pockets don't seem right. Like, no one asked that question. And so I'm still waiting for those pants. They're currently in customs. I'm waiting for them to come. And so it's just brutal. I feel so deeply about my customer that I just, it drives me crazy. Your daughter, what role, if any, has she played in the founding of this company? Well, it's funny you should ask. The The New York Times did an article about me and the company, 
in March of 2012. And at that time, she's in boarding school now, which she's an ice hockey player. And she'd gotten into the school and we were going up for what is called the revisit, um, the weekend where you go and sort of go look at the school and decide whether you really want to go there or not. And that was the day that the New York Times article came out. Like, the New York Times article came out that morning, and we were in the car on our way four and a half hours to New Hampshire for two days, and there was nothing I could do. And my BlackBerry is going, ping, 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 ping. And I'm thinking, I can't go to this school and, like, be one of those New York dads with my BlackBerry in the corner when everyone else is trying to, like, look like, oh, yes, we love it here and the trees are so pretty and, oh, so interested in this humanities class and, wow, the gym's great and the whole thing. And my BlackBerry is literally going to explode from, you know, orders that I'm getting. So I just said to Katie, I said, young lady, when you get home, you are going to work. And we came home, and we, because we were, we were, at the time, we were, it was all in our house. Like one day, a truck came and delivered all these boxes, and I lugged it upstairs in and, Manhattan. In Manhattan. And she, for two days straight, we just, for 12 hours, just like pushing it out. We'd push them out. I'd run to FedEx and drop them off. I mean, it was absolute insanity. I mean, a great lesson for a kid to sort of go, wow, this mm. is how it works. You know, when I can see, too, sometimes when she's like, you know, the business, and it's like it's like the the other sibling. It's competitive. Yeah. Do you ever see people on the street wearing your clothes? I have, and it's so great. Just, you know, guy in a shirt and a khakis, and I just, you know, was driving, going by in a cab, and there he was. And I was like, there he is. He looks great. There's a very funny story. My daughter calls one day, and she's like, you're not going to believe it. This guy came up to me at school and says, hey, hey, is that, is your dad Peter Manning? And she said, yeah. And she's like, why? And she said, I wear his pants. <laughs> it turns out she has a crush on him. So, oh, you know what I mean? It's too weird, but, but very funny. It struck me that, you know, here you are the producer of Sideman uh, and Sidemen being musicians in, in jazz bands. And y- your career has been somewhat of a of a jazz song, you know, kind of ad hoc a little bit, you know, going from, you know, this beat to that. Yeah. Have you thought about that? I had never made that connection, but it does make a lot of sense. And it it's true. You know, in jazz, they sort of pick up the melody where it, wherever it comes from and in Sideman, uh, there's a monologue where he, he talks about his father playing, and he said, you know, he'd be playing the horn, and if a horn and if a car horn blew outside, he'd incorporate that into his solo. And I guess there's a little bit of that in my life, sort of here are these things, and you're sort of allowing them to to give them life, you know, from a play to a kid to a clothing company to a building. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's been great to be here. My guest has been Peter Manning, the founder of the clothing company, Peter Manning. If you'd like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org or follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch. From Scratch.